Good morning. How did Thanksgiving go three days ago? Do you remember what Pastor Van said last Sunday? Were you thankful for the provisions that God gave, or were you, what was the word? Grumbly. Yes. Were you thankful for the place that God had put you, or were you greedy? Is this new material? Were you thankful for the presence of God, or were you grouchy? Remember that? Last Sunday it was, he said, Thanksgiving, thankful people aren't grumblers like Israel in Exodus. Thankful people aren't grouchy. Thankful people aren't greedy, dissatisfied with the Jordan River like Naaman the leper. Thankful people weren't grouchy like some of those in Philippians chapter 4. Today I'd like to emphasize the fact that Thanksgiving is more important than we think. And I'd like to talk about Thanksgiving after the event. Thanksgiving after the event. I'm in Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19. This little passage that talks about Jesus healing ten lepers. I'd like to divide it into two sections. Section one is the story, and section two is the response. Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11, for those of you who are looking for it in the Bible. So let's talk about the story. The story is that Jesus healed ten lepers. I'm reading verse 11. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. We pick up the story here as Jesus is on the way from Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem to die on the cross. He started this journey probably a couple of months earlier. And uh, he's moving down through this, this border between Samaria and Galilee on his way to Jerusalem. You remember the start. He started back in Luke chapter 9. Luke actually spends chapters 9 through 19 talking about this journey. No other gospel talks about it. And uh, he started in 951. Chapter 9, verse 51. Let me read 951. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, meaning not just the cross, but the resurrection and the ascension, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. Notice they are in and out of Samaria land. You have the map there where the brown part is Samaria, at least the upper brown. And then where you get to the green part up there, you've got Galilee. And all along that border, 
are a series of cities, towns, villages, and Jesus is moving down along that border. And when he gets to the Jordan, probably he's going to cross the Jordan and go down on the right side of the Jordan River. And when he gets to Jericho, he's going to come back across the river and go up to Jerusalem. So he gets to village number one on his trip down. They don't receive him because there's something about his face, something about the way he looks. And the village doesn't accept that. Of course, James and John, in their normal evangelistic mode, say, you want us to burn this place down? (laughs) It's probably why they were called sons of thunder, maybe sons of lightning, too, or some other kind of thing. The next chapter, Luke chapter 10, says that Jesus chose 70 other disciples and sent them out. And he sent them into these cities that he's going to go to. They were his front men. He sent them out two by two. So if you've got 70 that you've sent out, or 72, whichever your Bible says, that means he's planning on visiting at least 35 cities. All right? And if he spends two days, three days in each city, just do the math, okay? We're talking here about several months on this journey going down to Jerusalem. So as he goes into one city in Luke chapter 17, 10 lepers request mercy. In those days, leprosy was an awful condition. It still is. But in those days, lepers could not stay in their homes, could not stay in their cities, and had to be outside the village, outside the walls. A leper could not get within four paces of any other normal person. As soon as somebody got close, the leper was supposed to say, unclean, unclean. So lepers couldn't hold jobs. They lived a miserable life outside on garbage and food scraps and were reduced to a life that was basically death. They were the dregs the dogs of society. And their request is, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. It says they lifted up their voice, their voices. One of the effects of leprosy is that it attacks your vocal cords so that you can't speak. So to have these lepers lift up their voices means that they're putting out extra energy to try to Communicate because Jesus isn't close to them. He's out there on the road, wherever that is. And so you probably heard this hoarse scramble of voices. And I would imagine that everybody, most everybody, ignored it. But Jesus heard it. And you'll notice that Jesus commands them. They ask for mercy. Jesus commands them, and he says, go, go show yourself to the priests. I think it's fascinating to watch the great physician in action, you know? Back in uh, Mark chapter 1, when Jesus met his first leper, it says he touched him. Now, If he touched him when he was still a leper, Jesus was ceremonially ceremonially unclean. But he touched him and said, go show yourself to the priest. So the man must have been healed 
1.3 microseconds before Jesus touched him. And then in Mark 2, a man, a paralytic, comes down through the roof and Jesus forgives his sins to begin with. And then heals him later on. You remember the blind man in Bethsaida, the blind man. Jesus heals the blind man and then says, how do you see? And the man says, uh, my vision is 2200. I can see men as trees walking. So Jesus heals him again. And his vision comes back to 2020. Why the difference? Why the difference is? Why does Jesus do each one differently? I think Jesus does this because he is interested in meeting each person's exact need. Each situation's exact need. He wants to encourage the faith of these people. He wants to turn their hearts in the right direction. He wants, them to, wants to get them thinking about the issues and what it is that's really involved. So, he says to these men, go show yourselves to the priest. Think about that command. He's saying to these men, consider yourself healed Act as somebody who is healed and go show yourself to the priest. The priests were not the people who healed them. The priests were the ones who were judges as to whether they were healed or not. And when they were healed, the priests were supposed to offer sacrifices and then give them their cards so they could get back into the city. Think of the picture. Jesus doesn't go over to them. He just hears their call and says, go show yourself to the priest and walks on. Perhaps he's soon out of sight. Can't you see the, the lepers talking about the command? I would imagine the conversation would at least go something like this. What do you think he meant by go? Did he say go? Go? Why? We're still lepers. He just kept walking. You'd think he'd come over here and do something. Why didn't he touch us even? Why didn't he say some magical words? He didn't pray. He didn't pronounce us clean. What's the sense in going? They're going to kick us out of the city again. If we try to get to the synagogue. But why not at least do what he says? What do we have to lose? What else are we going to do anyway? Sell insurance? Sell tickets? So they start moving. The text says, as they went. They probably walked quite slowly to begin with because leprosy attacks your feet. And your ability to walk, and I would imagine one of them says, Hey, Ben, your arm's changing color. Do you notice that? And you're walking better. And I am too. I think we're getting healed. Look at your skin. It's changing. Wow. I can jump. Let's run. You know, and they start acting like 10-year-olds going to Disney World. And then you'll notice that one leper returns. 
It says, then one of them, this is verse 15, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his feet at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Immediately, one of them says, hey, let's go back. Let's thank the man who changed our lives. But the rest of them probably were too busy. They probably said, hey, you know, we're not far from the priest's house. Why stop now? Why go back? So the thankful man comes back alone. I want you to think about what he did. I got two, two observations here about what this man did. Number one, he stopped. He stopped. May have taken some time and some effort to get back to Jesus. Who knows where Jesus was? They may almost may have been almost at the priest's house. And it may have been a significant detour. For sure, it was greater effort than any of the other nine wanted to put out. Thanksgiving means you stop what you're doing. The first Thanksgiving occurred because Governor William Bradford declared this. We should set aside three days for thanksgiving unto God for the plenteous harvest. Can you imagine what that meant back in 1622? 102 people had come over, and that first year, 46 of them had died. 56 were left, greatly overtasked. Every, everybody was doing double work. And now the governor says, we're going to stop for three days. The three days included prayer, singing, listening to a three-hour sermon, among other things. That always encourages me. <laughs> and then the colonists and 90 Indians came together for a dinner that included venison, wild turkey, eels, gooseberries, plums, pumpkin pie. Sounds like a 17th century wild beast feast, doesn't it? The point is, they stopped for three days. Thanksgiving is not just texting God on the fly. It's stopping your work. It's stopping your busyness. So what happened on Thursday? Did you stop on Thursday? Did you stop even as Dallas sunk in the low, to the low point of losing again? Or Chicago? You know, Irma Bombach, Bombach says, it takes 18 hours to prepare a Thanksgiving meal. Amen? And that meal can be consumed in 12 minutes. And the length of halftime in a football game is 12 minutes. It's no coincidence. Did you stop and thank God on Thursday? You know, thanking God means stopping everything. 
quitting, turning away from all the other things. That's number one. He stopped. And number two is he gave praise to God. He gave praise to God. You'll notice verse 15 says, When he saw he was healed, he turned back praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Notice, loud voice. Notice falling on his face at Jesus' feet. Those descriptions make me wonder how often I truly praise God. Can you praise God quietly? Yes. Can you praise God half-heartedly? I'm not so sure. Can you praise God while you're daydreaming? I doubt it. This man did it with a loud voice in public, with crowds of villagers all around. Have you ever done that? Have you ever praised God with a loud voice? Did you sing this morning with your heart these majestic songs that we sang? sang? Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? What a song. Did you sing it with everything you had? Here's the characteristic of this Samaritan. He came in and praised God with loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Fell on his face at Jesus' feet. Every Sunday presents us the opportunity of saying thanks the Samaritan way. Embarrassing ourselves with the zeal of our praise. So here's the story of mercy multiplied by ten, with only one who really understands what he has, only one who returns to worship and thank the God who gave him grace. I remember my dad being frustrated because of the lack of gratitude of his children and grandchildren. So one Christmas, along with every gift that came from Grandpa, was a self-addressed, stamped envelope. All you had to do was write your response, stick it in the envelope, stick it in the mail, and it got to Grandpa. It was a lesson to all of us. You know, the giver loves us and will keep giving whether we say thank you or not. But how great to receive notes of appreciation. When my father passed on 17 years ago, I was blessed with the several file cabinets of his files, and I still find notes of appreciation in my dad's files, especially those that came from his grandchildren. Notes of appreciation say something. Here's Psalm 50, verse 23. Psalm 50, verse 23. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. So there's the story. Jesus healed ten lepers. Let's talk about the reaction. 
The reaction focuses on the fact that Jesus healed one leper. I'm reading verses 17 to 19. Then Jesus answered, were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Let me make five observations here. Five observations. Number one, God looks for praise. God looks for praise. I see that in the question, where are the nine? Where are the nine? Jesus was concerned as he watched nine healed lepers keep walking. They had received a gift that had never been handed out in the Old Testament. Except for Miriam, Moses' sister, nobody in the Old Testament was ever healed of leprosy. Kind of an interesting conundrum back there because you've got two chapters in the Old Testament describing to a priest how to declare somebody healed and he never had business in, in those two chapters. Nobody ever came to get healed who was an Israelite. Naaman the leper, remember, was from Syria. He's the only one we know of that was healed other than Miriam. Surely a miracle this striking, getting something that no one else had ever gotten in the Old Testament, should wake a couple of these other guys up. Did they understand? Did they care at all? Did they know what was going on? So this question reveals the divine attitude toward ingratitude, the longing, the disappointment, the pain that Jesus feels. When he compares this huge gulf between the humble Samaritan and his thanks and these crusty Jewish guys who keep going. Initially, we would think that God is a lot like us. God is looking for praise and thanksgiving. But the truth is that God does not need honor from us. God does not need our praise and our thanksgiving. So why is he looking for it? There's an important reason, and I'll come back to it later, okay? But it's an issue of understanding what you have. Recognizing the significance of the giant gifts that God has freely given us. W.H. Hudson wrote this. He said, one evening, I brought home a friend to share our usual evening dinner. Afterward, he said to me, you are fortunate to have a wife who despite being ill and having three children to look at, cooks, look after, cooks such excellent meals. And he said, that tribute opened my eyes and taught me to show gratitude for my wife's day-to-day -day heroism. Amen? That was pretty weak which he says I had hitherto taken for granted. How many of us could, have, could give that witness? Neglecting the heroism of our wives. Neglecting to realize how awesome the gifts are that God has given to us. So God looks for praise, number one. Number two, thanksgiving is a turn from the gift to the giver. 
Thanksgiving is a turn from the gift to the giver. This is important. Why does Christ get excited over a thank you from a Samaritan? What does a thank you do for the giver of the gift? Well, it shows that this leper has moved from a thing to a person. The Samaritan is coming to honor and talk and say thank you to the giver. See, the purpose of God's gifts is to lead us to him. To get us excited over the truth that he is actually alive and operational on planet earth. And then lead us to turn to him. To move beyond the gift to the giver. The proper response to every one of the thousands of gifts God dispenses us is understanding, recognition, and gratitude. Norval Glendenhoyce, in his commentary on Luke, says this, there is nothing that one, There's nothing that can bind one more closely to him than sincere gratitude. We love because he first loved us. So ten men received a life-changing gift from Jesus Christ. They now have been restored to life and to society. Nine of them run with it and enjoy it. Never turning back, never saying thanks. And Christ lets them go with sadness. God is forever giving gifts to people who run with them, never looking back. Who often pose as if they created the gifts themselves. You ever met those kind of people? They've been given a body. They've been given talent. They've been given looks. They've been given all kinds of blessings, money, and they keep running like the nine lepers. No acknowledgement of the giver. No desire to worship and glorify the God from whom all blessings flow. Have you ever done this? Enjoyed the gift? Ignored the giver? Number three, I noticed the fact that God's gifts move us. God's gifts move us. Either closer or further away. The Bible suggests that if we don't respond to thanksgiving, respond with thanksgiving, we'll turn in a different, more sinister direction. Here's Romans 1, verse 20. Although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened, Professing to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Here's the nine leper attitude. Take God's gifts and run. And what happened? They became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. At the same time, they thought they were so wise and brilliant and creative. Here's the point. Something changes in people's minds when they don't view their gifts rightly. Something changes in people's minds when they don't view their gifts rightly. Something else fills a person's heart when thanksgiving doesn't fill it. 
It's either thank God or begin to misunderstand. It's either, it's either turn to God, move from the gift to the giver, or you'll become a different person and misuse his gift. People cannot be unthankful and remain the same. People cannot be unthankful and remain the same. Unthankfulness changes your life. And if you want to know God, history shows that thankfulness is a prerequisite. It's not an option. So here's the real reason that God is looking for appreciation. Here's the real answer to the question I brought up back in A. God is looking for praise and honor. Why? Does he need it? No. He's looking for it because that opens the door for him to give us more blessings. He wants to bless us even more. So Jesus asked, where are the nine? Because they had turned from God's additional blessings. They were still walking away. Number four, you'll notice the Samaritan received the second blessing. The Samaritan received a second blessing. Jesus says to this man, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. What does that mean? Wasn't he already well? He had already been healed. No more leprosy. Your faith has made you well. Had he already expressed his faith in Christ's command by obeying it and heading out to see the priest? Yes, but so had the other nine. And Christ didn't say their faith has made them well and they can keep walking. There's something that he gave to this man that he didn't give to them. So what is this well? And what is this faith? The Samaritan's expression of faith was connected with coming back, falling at Christ's feet, praising him with a loud voice. And Jesus is actually literally saying here, your faith saved you. Made you well is saved you. He had received a physical gift of healing. Is it possible that Jesus is saying now that the Samaritan has just received the spiritual gift of forgiveness of sins? I think so. What did he receive that the other nine didn't receive? Here's what he received, and this is very important. He received a new relationship with Jesus Christ. This man received not only the gift of healing, this man received the giver. He turned from the gift to the giver and he received not only gift A, but he received Jesus Christ. He came to Christ. F.L. Godet in his commentary says it well when he states this, to his physical cure was added a moral cure. He not only received the mercy of God, he met God. 
Dave Hunt talks about in one of his books the fact that he thought that Hebrews 11.6 was his passport to getting his prayers answered, to getting whatever he wanted. <laughs> Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And he liked that word rewarder. Rewarder of those who diligently seek him and said, so here's what I need to do. I need to diligently seek him and I will get what I want. And he said it took him a couple of years before he realized the last word in the, in the verse. The last word in the verse says he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Him. You see, it's an issue of moving from the gift to the giver. It's an, it, it's an issue of realizing the fact that God has blessed me in all of these ways because God wants me to spend time with him. So number five, God's blessings are designed to lead to other blessings. Lead to God himself. You can be satisfied with the food, the money, the health, the weather, the peace, the security, the happiness, without ever meeting God. Nine Jewish men had received a tremendous, life-changing blessing of mercy from God and probably went to hell. They probably never met God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. What a tragedy to have in your hands the very blessing of God and to go to hell. To have a new life in a village with your family and children and to go to hell. What a tragedy to sit in a chair at fellowship and sing the songs of praise to God and interact with people of God and never meet God. And go to hell. From fellowship, Bible, church. To be so close. I would imagine that one of the videos that will continually replay in the minds of people in hell will be the video of their opportunities to come to Christ. They'll replay again and again how close they were. How simple it would have been. But they didn't. Every blessing of God is intended by God to lead us to God. The blessing of God that doesn't lead us to God is wasted on us. You can be satisfied with the food and the money and the health and the wealth and the peace and the joy and the happiness and miss life because you miss the giver. Every blessing is intended to turn you back like the Samaritan, to stop, to fall at his feet in loud praise to him. So I believe that that move toward God, that turnaround toward God, is the foundation of our relationship with him. That desire that says, in all honesty, you are awesome. Your gracious gifts are awesome. Your mercy and compassion on me is awesome. And I can't say it loud enough or long enough. 
and everybody needs to know how amazing you are. The truth is that you can talk about God and you can sing about God and you can listen to sermons about God and read books without ever turning to God in genuine praise and honest admiration and gratitude. And you can have the nine leper life. Blessed greatly without God. So where are you this morning, three days after Thanksgiving? You've been blessed of God, right? Three of you have. You following the train of the nine or the train of the one? You just keep going or do you stop? Have you really stopped your schedule? Have you really interrupted your schedule to focus on the person, Jesus Christ? That's the kind of thing that Paul is recommending in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 when he says, In everything... In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In everything. That's the kind of thing the writer to Hebrews is recommending when he says, Therefore by him let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. That's Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Paul says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. A man named A.J. Cronin took a taxi in New York and realized very quickly that the taxi driver was in a bad mood. When asked what the trouble was, he said, I got good reason to be sore. One of my fares left a wallet in my cab this morning, nearly 300 bucks in it. I spent more than an hour trying to trace the guy. Finally, I found him at his hotel. He took the wallet without a word, glared at me as though I'd meant to snitch it. He didn't give you a reward, Cronin exclaimed, not a cent. The man said, no, not a cent, me out of my time and my gas, but it wasn't the dough I wanted. He fumbled inarticulately, and then he exploded and said, if the guy had only said something. If the guy had only said something. I often wonder how many times God responds that way to us. Where are the nine? So what is our greatest need today, three days after Thanksgiving? To see miracles? To be healed from our leprosy, our cancer, our broken leg? No, our greatest need is to understand what we already have. And appreciate it. 
We've been given so much. It will take it will actually take an eternity to unpack and to grasp all that God has done for us. That's why we come to church. That's why we read our Bibles. That's why we hang around people who love Christ. To learn and appreciate the incredible blessings we've already been given. It doesn't take four years in seminary to begin to understand what God has done for us. So think about the amazing gifts you've received this week. Akin to be cure, akin to being cured from leprosy. And think about your response. How have you responded? May God teach us to turn to Him in thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, we are so blessed, and we so often live like the nine lepers. Would you change our hearts? Would you open our eyes? Would you cause us to see how much you long to give us more? And I pray that we might turn from the gifts to the giver and love the giver because he first loved us. Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.